Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering. One bank teller instead of the usual five. Slow, fast food lines. Simply not enough staff. Grandma's Office Catering avoided the mass exodus with respect, appreciation, better wages, and now health insurance. That's how Grandma continues to wow. Grandma'sCatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujiadeen. Today is Thursday, August 11th. Coming up, as Kansas Citians across the metro scramble for affordable housing, the future of one of the oldest Black-owned co-ops in the nation is looking grim. And that's crushing. It's really hurtful. Plus, many Missouri school districts are considering a four-day school week. We'll take a look at how that could impact kids. But first, some headlines. The Missouri Highway Patrol has identified the man killed in Sunday's shooting at a gas station near 55th Street and Prospect Avenue. KCUR's Carlos Moreno has more. Authorities say they were investigating a reportedly stolen SUV when 31-year-old Zachary James Gerard walked out and jumped into the vehicle. Gerard reportedly attempted to run over an officer using the SUV and then rammed it into a police van. Police then opened fire, fatally wounding him. Gerard died at the hospital. No officers were injured. This is the third fatal shooting by Kansas City Police this year. Officials have not revealed how many officers fired their weapons or how many shots they fired. A Kansas man has been ordered to pay restitution after duping hundreds of people into paying for autopsy services, despite having no medical degree. KCUR's Dan Margulies reports. Sean Lynn Parcells pleaded guilty in May to falsely representing his credentials to a Maryland family that had contracted with him for autopsy services. He faces up to 20 years in prison when he is sentenced later this year. A Shawnee County judge ordered him to pay $250,000 to 82 consumers he defrauded. She also ordered him to pay $445,000 in penalties and damages and banned him from doing business in Kansas. Parcells held himself out as a forensic pathologist, and he posed in cable news appearances as an expert in the investigation of the police killing of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri in 2014. Missourians will decide in November if they want to legalize recreational cannabis. But KCUR's Savannah Hawley reports some worry expanding the marijuana program would benefit existing medical dispensaries rather than give opportunities to small businesses. The proposal would remove bans in the state constitution on marijuana sales, consumption, and manufacturing for adults over 21. It would also allow people with nonviolent cannabis-related offenses to have their records expunged. Critics say the bill gives an unfair advantage to existing medical dispensaries that will automatically get recreational status and leave out small growers. But Rob Sullivan, a lawyer who helped draft the initiative and owner of Fresh Green Dispensary, says there's no other alternative right now. Well, if you vote no, then you're getting nothing. If you vote yes, then you're getting at least what's been put in the the, the bill here, which is a lot more than nothing. State officials estimate that the legislation would add more than $40 million in annual revenue. What if kids only go to school four days a week? This year, one in four districts in Missouri will be on that condensed schedule. The Independent School District is also considering it. John Turner is an associate professor in the College of Education at Missouri State University. He researches rural school districts, and he sat down to discuss the four-day week with St. Louis Public Radio's Kate Grumke. She started by asking what types of districts are moving to four-day weeks. 
You know, originally, back when this became an option in the state of Missouri 13 years ago, the schools that were adopting the four-day school week were typically very small, very rural school districts. But now here, especially in the last few years, you're seeing larger and larger school districts go to the four-day school week. So, for example, the largest school district on the four-day week is the Warren County School District in Warrenton, which has over 3,000 students. And why are school districts deciding to do this? You know, when I talk to people on the street, they often think it's all about the money, and it's not that simple. It is about money to the extent that many of the smaller rural school districts cannot compete with suburban schools as far as teacher salaries. So in a tightening job market with teachers, uh, it's really hard for a rural school district to compete with a suburban school district on a salary scale or benefit scale or even a resource scale that's available in their school district. This teacher shortage thing, it was bad before the pandemic, and it's to a crisis. Now, I know it's easy for someone in suburban St. Louis to listen to us and say these rural schools are going to the four-day week, but they don't realize how difficult it is to be a school administrator in a rural area that you cannot compete with suburban school districts on the salary scale, and you're trying to find teachers. And so again, this is not, I don't think the four-day school week is a vision of where schools wanted to go. It's what they've been forced to do by the circumstances that they have. And so policy makers in the state of Missouri are going to have to figure out ways to attract more people into the teaching career because this is a crisis. And again, the four-day school week is a symptom of, of these challenges that these schools are facing. Has research shown that this is actually helping school districts with teacher retention? I've been on the road all around the state of Missouri investigating this. And so I hear people tell me all the time that, yes, it definitely uh, keeps teachers there longer. Uh, but it's really difficult to measure as far as quantitative numbers. But but there is no doubt that the four-day school week is extremely popular with teachers. And there's no doubt that many teachers are staying longer in these four-day school week districts rather than always looking for additional money and compensation. I think a lot of people find this trend kind of alarming at first glance. How do you feel about it? You know, I don't take sides on it, but because I've been out in so many districts on the ground and, and heard people, not only school teachers, but also administrators and parents and and people within a district, you know, the two groups that I say are the ones that if you adopt the four-day week, you have to pay the closest attention to are those families that have students with unique special needs. So it may be a student that has a behavioral issue that makes it difficult to find them childcare, or you may have a student that has a unique medical condition where the school nurse is extremely valuable to do things like monitor for diabetes or or other medications that you just can't put them in general child care or just leave them for grandma with grandma for that matter. So again, the two groups that I tell people is that while it is seems to be overwhelmingly popular and schools, once they go to the four-day week, do not go back, I always say pay special attention to those families that have unique challenges like kids with unique behavioral issues and kids with unique medical issues, and of course, families where they only have early childhood age children. Have we seen an impact from this on student learning? Student learning is a tricky thing to measure in the state of Missouri because the number of four-day school weeks has been growing so fast. And another reason is that we've seen the MAP test, which is the, the state 
standardized test that is administered in all the public schools. The MAP test has gone through several revisions over the last few years, and the MAP test wasn't even given two years ago because of the COVID pandemic. So it's been really difficult to measure, uh, to see the academic impact. But I will just say this, Kate, is that in the state of Missouri, 141 school districts have adopted the four-day school week. And over that time, only one ever went back. And so those local school boards are watching those test performance numbers and things like that. And I think the vote uh, to continue to do it in all the school districts except for one does give you some measure. And another thing that I would drop out is, is you can look at this on a nationwide standard. While in Missouri, we're not doing so well on having uh, the same test year after year, so we, it's difficult to measure growth. But in some states, for example, the state of Colorado, a majority of the school districts in the state of Colorado we're on the four-day week. And it's pretty clear that if there is uh, an impact on academic learning on a four-day week, it's minimal. That was Missouri State University Associate Professor John Turner and St. Louis Public Radio's Kate Grumke. For more than 50 years, Parade Park Homes in the 18th and Vine District has stood as one of the oldest Black-owned housing cooperatives in the nation. But now the co-op has slid into disrepair. KCUR's Beck Shackleford Wanganga has our story. My daughter lived here. Oh, wow, at 1821. Uh-huh. On a breezy spring day, 72 year old Diane Charity pulls up to a boarded, partially burned downtown home where her daughter used to live. Only about half the units in this housing complex east of downtown Kansas City are occupied now. Charity moved out of Parade Park in 2006, but the place still evokes a lot of family memories for her. My daughter used to sit out here and eat watermelon. Oh, (laughs) you know, that's so cute. Built in the early 1960s, Parade Park's affordable, bright white townhomes were an unusual product of urban renewal. Urban renewal was a post-war practice aimed at demolishing, quote, blighted areas and cities. Often those areas encompassed black or brown communities, and they were usually replaced with things like highways or industrial buildings, reducing precious stocks of affordable housing. But at the Parade Park location, the cleared land became the site of a housing cooperative, which is a way for residents to share ownership and governance of the place where they live. Michael Frisch, a professor at the University of Missouri-Kansas City, says Parade Park was uncharacteristically ethical for an urban renewal project. In many ways, this is a progressive development in what they were trying for. And they were trying to build ownership and targeted to a community that actually did not have the same level of access. Archie Williams was 22 when he moved into Parade Park Homes almost 50 years ago with his wife and two small children. He didn't know what a co-op was, but after he learned, he felt empowered. Parade Park offered a route to homeownership at a time when racist policies barred many black people from buying homes. Williams says residents kept an eye out for each other's children. It was like a cocoon, you know, uh, during the, especially during the uh, 80s, when my kids were becoming adolescents. Both Williams and Charity became board members of the cooperative. But Charity says slowly over time, the townhome started to age and management was shoddy. Disagreements popped up on the board and a lot of residents started to feel left out of important decisions. So I ran for the board and stayed on the board for 15 years. But I I learned so much and not just uh, (laughs) about how even back then in the 80s, they were trying to buy us out. 
The constant disagreements and, as Charity puts it, corruption on the board eventually pushed her out of Parade Park. Many of her close friends still live there, and over the years, Charity has urged them to fight for their rights as co-op shareholders. But things are looking pretty grim at the moment. The property received some of the worst scores possible on recent HUD inspections and now is under threat of foreclosure. One likely scenario is that Parade Park will be redeveloped but lose its status as a cooperative. And that's crushing, it's really hurtful. Williams worries developers will swoop in and gentrify the place he loves so much. Charity feels the same way. She says during her time on the board, out-of-state developers were constantly eyeing Parade Park homes. It's not the property, of course. It's not Parade Park that developers want, out-of-state developers want. They want this land. Walking through Parade Park homes today, you see eaves falling off of buildings, stained, weathered siding, and boarded-up units. But for Williams, Charity, and many current and former residents, Parade Park is more than just another aging property destined for redevelopment. It's a black community built on empowerment and ownership. Uh, with time, everything changes. And if you don't adjust to the changes, then you, you have other results. Regardless of what happens, Parade Park stands as a rare example of an urban renewal project that actually provided homes for people. The co-op reminds us of what is possible and why we need to keep looking for affordable housing solutions. For KCUR 89.3, I'm Beck Shackleford-Wanganga. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Ujia-Dean. This podcast is produced by Trevor Grandin, Byron Love, and KCUR Studios, and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Kate's story on the four-day school week and Beck's story on Parade Park, visit kcur.org, where you can find more local news from Kansas City's NPR station. Tomorrow, we'll hear how a Kansas City rapper is trying to bring a distinctive local style to the greater rap world. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon. Kansas City Today keeps our communities informed. So does KCUR's daily news email, The Early Bird. It delivers the top headlines of the day right to your inbox every weekday at 6 a.m. You can subscribe at kcur.org slash early bird.